Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Gabby Myers lost her nose due to a dog bite in 2017, and the injury impacted her life dramatically. So if she could go back in time, would she change it? No. No. Because it's not me anymore. Tessa Sheetheart's face was burned and scarred after a botched surgery when she was just two years old. When she was a teen and put makeup over the scars, how did she react? I remember looking in the mirror and the first thing I said was, take it off because I'm not going to go on the street like this. And 80% of Zaid Garcia's body was burned when he was a child. How's he doing now, at 19? I'm happy. I think myself is normal, you know, like, yeah, it's okay what people say. I'm going to be my own way, you know. Hey, that was a poem, okay. <laughs> I'm Kyone Wolf. Hear stories about facing life with visible facial differences. That's coming up next on Audacious, right after the news. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf, and I think it's safe to say that all of us have multifaceted relationships with the way our faces look. When I lean in and look at mine, I see that I've got a scar on my upper lip from the dog we had when we were growing up, a German Shepherd named Alex. I was a teenager and I leaned down to give him a treat and it happened so fast. I don't know why he did it. You can barely see the scar now, but it took nine stitches to close it, and I couldn't smile for like a month. That scar actually makes me miss that dog. And when I look at my face and I like squint or smile, I can see that I've got wrinkles that are just beginning to remain. I'm excited about those because wrinkles are sexy AF. I mean, they're proof that you've been engaged with the world, right? And when it comes to beauty and my face, that's a tough one. The way I feel about my face and my relationship to how I define beauty, I'd say expands and contracts depending on, well, a thousand things. All in all, these are some pretty common analytics that we run in our minds, right? Um, A blemish here, a scar there, a, a bump or a divot, all arranged on our face of all places to show the world what makes us, us. But what if on your precious face, it wasn't just a blemish or a bump, but an injury so extensive that it makes people stare makes you reconsider what beauty means and how you measure your worth, makes public radio show producers reach out to ask you to talk about it, you know, how it's formed you, how it's changed you, how it hasn't, and if you would reverse it, if you could. Today, you're going to meet three people who've had this experience. One woman lost her nose to a dog bite just five years ago. The date that it happened was a before and after in her life, and she tries not to look at pictures of herself from before. And another woman's face was scarred from scalp to mouth after a hospital procedure went wrong. She was just two years old when it happened, so it's the only face she's ever really known. Zaid Garcia, originally from Mexico, now living in Galveston, Texas, was also two years old when he was hurt. A candle fell on him while he was sleeping, and he suffered burns on 80% of his body including his head. When you see him, and there are some wonderful interviews with him online that we'll link to, uh, you see that his eyes are covered with skin, his nose is burnt off, his lips are burnt off too, and you can see his teeth. He no longer has hands, and he lost one toe. I asked him how he describes what he looks like. You know, that's a good question, to be honest. I don't even know how to describe myself. I know I got burns. That's all I know. (laughs) 
There is a GoFundMe for you, which we'll post on our website at ctpublic.org slash audacious. And it's to help with your medical expenses, including the possibility of reconstructive surgery. When you ponder getting that kind of surgery, what comes to your mind? Fear, pain, and let me put it this way. So when women are about to have their first child, you know, it's like you're afraid, but at the same time, you're happy, you know? Yes, I want surgery, but also it's not easy. The comment section of your GoFundMe page is so full of love for you. People say things like, Zaid is a wonderful, insightful, confident, and loving young man. With support from kind and loving people, he should have a bright future and go far. I wish him all the best. And there's also Zaid's strength, bravery, and sense of humor are just awesome. I'm challenged to change the way I see others and my own life. What does it feel like for you to hear these comments and to know that there are so many people rooting for you? You know, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, I'm, I'm happy because, you know, I inspire people and I think that was my goal, you know, whenever I read those comments, it makes me laugh of joy, you know, like tears of joy, as they say. Also, some comments get through my heart that makes me cry sometimes, you know. See, there was one time when I read a comment and I was feeling negative because don't get me wrong, I'm a human being and sometimes there is these negative thoughts, you know. So once I was having negative thought and I read one of those comments, you know, and I was like, I started to, you know, liking myself more and understanding that this is who I am, you know. This is who I want to be, you know. And if something about me change, it will not be who I am, you know. Like, if I don't accept myself, who else will, you know what I mean? You just lined me up perfectly to play this poem that you wrote (laughs) called I Am Proud of what I am. I may not be the strongest, but it doesn't mean I'm hopeless. I may not be the fastest, but it doesn't mean I'm the slowest. I may not be the cutest, but it doesn't mean I don't have a beauty in me. I may not be a prince, but it doesn't mean that I'm not proud of what I am. Why was it important? to write that poem, I'm proud of who I am. What does it mean to you? So this poem meant to me a lot of things. Accept yourself. If you love yourself, if you make yourself happy, then there's no point of not enjoying life. Why should I focus about making other people happy when I can make myself happy? Because in the end, it's just going to be me, you know. Let's say if I love a girl, right? But if I do not love myself, what love can I give to that girl? But the reason I wrote it is because I wanted to accept myself. And I saw, you know, all the negative things I went through and how, I, how bad I felt about myself sometimes that sometimes I just, you know, I'm just going to accept myself no matter what. So I wrote that poem for me, but to inspire other people. You had mentioned having a girlfriend and loving yourself. Do you date? Are you interested in meeting someone? And what are you looking for in a partner? That's a good question. Actually, you're the first one who asked me that because no one has asked me that, to be honest. So what I look in a girl is for her to be like, see, there's these people who think like men is only this and girl is only this, you know. But I don't think so. I think that if men and women work together, right? So like, not a woman that fully depends on me, you know, because if a woman depends on me too much, you know, then that's that's going to be a problem, you know, because then she's going to end up, you know, like, that, if that makes sense. So you want an independent woman? Yes, that's what I mean. 
but also, you know, not like, you know, like, I get to tell you what to, you know. <laughs> yeah, independent, but yeah, you know. It's so funny because your positivity is infectious, but I also know you are a human being. You must have some days that maybe it's not so easy for you. And so I wonder when you are having difficult days, how do you help yourself when you're feeling low? I think how I can explain to somebody how I feel, you know. For example, like one time I was crying because love relationship problem and I was trying to explain to my teacher how I feel, you know. But I, I explained to him, you know, I feel bad because the person I love, you know, her family, you know, judged me because of my condition. And now, you know, we broke up because of this, because she loves her family and I cannot do nothing. And I think if I wasn't like this, so I told him how I felt. And I think that helped me feel better, you know, like talking about my problem with somebody, you know, it makes me feel like I feel good. You know, I know people say men don't cry, but men do cry because we're human beings too. And I think if you cry and if you talk with somebody about your problem, anybody you trust in general, also cry because when you cry, you let things go. So that that helps me. When I, I cry and I don't care if people are like, oh, he's a baby. No, no, no. I don't care, you know. I know how I feel and I know that, you know, it's going to make me feel better at the end, so. If there was a way to travel back in time and make the accident not happen, do you think that's what you would want? You know, this is a good question. So, yes and no. Yes, because I want, I'll have more possibilities, you know, like, for example, I will have spent time with my grandma. I will have spent time, you know, with my family more. And I'll probably have, you know, like, be a police officer, you know, and achieve my dream, you know. But at the same time, no. And the reason I say no is because I could have ended up in that, you know, too. You know, it's the reality. Sometimes you need to go through hard stuff to realize that that is not what you want to be, you know? For example, like, if I was, like, perfect, you know? And when I mean perfect, it's like, no burn, no nothing. You know, who knows? Maybe I say I'll become a police officer, but who knows? Maybe because of the circumstances or situation, I'll probably have end up, you know, in a gang or something like that, you know? So sometimes you need to go through hard path to realize that oh you know what I don't want to do that or you know what good thing I was not there because you know I could have end up you know bad or something you know if that makes sense you know I always try to think the good things and the good things that will have come you know although I will have spent time with my family I probably will not be the first one in my family to graduate I'm the first person for my family to actually own a diploma and graduate. And <laughs> so you see, yes and no, because if the accident had not happened, I probably have not got the chance to get to the U.S., you know, and to achieve this. I'll probably have dropped out of school, who knows, you know, in Mexico, you know. So at the same time, yes, I'd rather go back in time, but no, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's definitely complicated and there's no way to tell what that other life would be like um when you when you picture yourself in your mind's eye what do you look like in my mind now this changes depends but um when i'm happy i think myself is normal you know like you know, just like, ah, there's nothing wrong with me, you know, like, yeah, it's okay what people say, 
I'm gonna be my own way, you know. Hey, that was a poem, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but uh, I think myself I'm a normal human being, you know. But sometimes when I had downs, you know, I go like, what did I do as a baby that now I'm paying for, you know, because I I did nothing bad when I was a baby, you know. Like, I was just a child, you know. So what wrong thing I did for uh, receive this punish, you know, or something like that. But when I'm happy, I always look myself as Said, you know. And there's a song I just wrote one time, and I said, you know what? It is me, Said. That's what I called it. It's a good song, and that's just how I see myself, you know, as Said. <laughs> if you could go back in time to yourself as a child, like just beginning to grow up, six years old, and talk to that younger version of yourself, what do you think you'd say? It's not going to be easy, Said. It's not going to be hard either. But you can defeat this. Well, Zaid Garcia, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. <laughs> We're going out with a song Zaid wrote. It's me, Zaid. When we get back, when most of your face has been scarred, how may your feelings of beauty be experienced in the body? Beauty can become this experience of life, this sort of like deep relationship to your senses. Plus, life after losing your nose to a dog bite. There's days that I just won't look in the mirror. I won't do it. I'm Kion Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. This is my life. What can I do? It is me. Finally, I realize I Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. A lot of people struggle with sleep apnea and with CPAP machines. Dr. Carl Muller, a head and neck surgeon with Hartford Hospital, describes Inspire, a surgical alternative to the CPAP approach. Only about 60% of patients can tolerate CPAP real well. Inspire is a surgical alternative to CPAP. It's an outpatient surgery. It takes about two hours. And essentially what it does is it picks up when you're taking a breath and sends a two-second electrical pulse to the tongue, which causes the tongue to stick out a little bit and stiffen and prevent the airway from collapsing. Hartford Hospital has performed more than 200 Inspire therapy surgeries. If you've tried and failed with CPAP, you could be a candidate for this minimally invasive procedure. Patients with moderate to severe sleep apnea are candidates. There is a weight criteria, so you have to have a body mass index below 35, and you have to have to have tried and failed CPAP. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Audacious. I'm Kion Wolf. Today, three people on what it's like having visible facial differences, all due to traumatic events. Later, you'll meet a woman whose nose was bitten off by a dog five years ago. But right now, I want you to meet Tessa Schiedhart from Amsterdam in the Netherlands. She was born with a heart-shaped port wine stain on her face, which was the result of having Sturge-Raber syndrome. This condition also gave her glaucoma. When she was two years old, she underwent a laser treatment to remove the birthmark. But the voltage in the instrument used for this procedure was incorrectly set, resulting in redness and scarring that covers her face from scalp to mouth. I asked her, as a kid, when did she realize that she looked different than most people? I do think that I, early on, I was aware of, you know, just having a different color on my face. And as soon as I could talk and speak, my mom and dad, they really instilled in me a way to communicate what I have. So one of the first things that I was taught was also saying like, it's a birthmark. I'm born with that because I was asked about it from a very early age onward. And one of the beautiful things that I always 
take as an example is that my mom and dad, they really didn't let adults talk over my head. So they had a lot of questions coming their way of like, what does she have on her face? And they really instilled in me the ability to explain myself and also choose to do so. So if it was a no, then it was a no. And then my parents just politely declined to do person asking like hey today we're not in it in for it so have a good day and that was often like looked upon like but you can explain right and she's like no she's a no so we're not (laughs) that's very respectful of my body and the relationship to my body talk to me about beauty and how you've changed or grown into how you see beauty now yeah So I believe that beauty is such a deep aspect of our lives, whether we are aware of it or not. And most of us, we grow up in a culture, in in an overculture of the service level shine of beauty. Like beauty is regarded as something like a salon you go to, to either do your nails, do your whatever. So beauty has become a product where it's, Whereas to me, it's a really deep concept of, of how we experience life. And so when it comes to beauty, I think a lot of us stay within that surface level shine of what beauty means to us. And then there are some of us that rebel against that. And in that, we sort of neutralize ourselves. And yeah, we don't express ourselves how we want to. And so we sort of like, we neutralize ourselves. We become a little bit more blended in or we have all these patterns um, and interesting coping mechanism to deal with this overculture that is very sometimes very limiting to some of our bodies. And it's really hard to, you know, abide by the standards of, of that beauty culture. And then I think there is a deeper layer where we learn to, you know, go within and feel what beauty means to us and to really deeply connect to how we see the world and through that, how we see others, how we use our eyes, how we look at things in life. And for me, there is a deep aspect in seeing because my sight is diminished and I've always been very, very grateful for being able to see regardless of what I'm seeing. And so when I look in the mirror and when it comes to beauty and seeing yourself and the relationship you cultivate with your body through that, through that concept of your beauty, I feel that there's such a deep current to experience when you are willing to look deeper. And yeah, I think from there, beauty can become this experience of life, this sort of like, deep relationship to your senses almost. I did a show a while ago about what it's like to be a model and what's so awesome about it and the perks of being what might be understood as sort of universally beautiful, like cover girl, at least in this era and in this culture and in in my country and, and many others. And also what the what the downsides are of being that kind of that breed of beautiful, you know, you don't know who is friendly to you because they're just friendly or because they want something from you. And so I have a feeling that no matter what you look like, your relationship to beauty, our relationship to beauty is something that we're always navigating. We're always trying to figure out and make peace with and grow into and make sense of, do you feel like you've reached a sort of equilibrium with your own beauty or is it something that you think you'll always be wrestling with? I don't think it's the wrestling because that means that I have to overcome or fight something, which to me there isn't. Um, For me, it's a very soft, like it can be a very soft relationship, but I do think there is always a relationship. (laughs) So I do always think that, I mean, we live in a culture that is very visible 
I mean, our eyes, I believe, are, are such important portals for how we experience the world. And through that, we will always have a relationship to what we see and through that automatically with beauty. So I, that also comes to the body and the body is extremely stigmatized. And when you said about when you're a model, you have a different relationship and people deal with your beauty in a very different way. So I always think there is a relationship but matters how you learn to navigate that which i really hope to have people look at differently so on the one hand like you are not this birthmark and the scarring from this procedure this is, this is not everything about you this is one and it's on your face so that makes it so prominent so but on the other hand it is something that defines you it is something that you use to connect with people and to improve their lives and to make them feel less alone and to make them feel or help them feel empowered. Will you talk about holding those two things that this is not all I am and this is something very important to me. It's part of my life forever. Yeah. So to me, my birthmark is very instrumental in that, in that sense. So it's not an intrinsic thing about me because I'm so much more than this body like we all are. And then, of course, this body comes with a certain mark. And that creates for an interesting experience. And that, that's my gateway through relating, partly relating to my life, but mostly also sharing that with others so that we can grow and see what is the deeper meaning of, you know, having a body with a facial difference. So for me, yeah, for me, it's just very instrumental. And I mean, of course, I have my uh, counseling and mentoring practice around it because I do believe that sometimes we just get clouded in seeing, you know, the meaning of, of our looks and our appearances. And we can struggle with that. And our mental, emotional relationship sometimes needs help and strengthening in that. And that's, that's what I really hope to help others with. And at the same time, we're not this body. We're both really connected to it. And for me, the body is, you know, really this vehicle through which we experience the world as well as we drive a car to, you know, get from A to B. It's, it's this vehicle that we get to experience life through. And yeah, the birthmark is, is something we can use intelligently to learn from. I have a bunch of tattoos all over my body and a friend of mine was learning Photoshop. And as an experiment, he, fo he photographed me and he removed all of my tattoos. And seeing it was in one way kind of exhilarating, like, oh, there's, there's my body without these, these things that I volunteered to have on my body. And also when I saw it, I felt tremendously sad. Like, no, these... These are beautiful things to me and I identify with them and they say a lot about my character and my life. Um, have you ever experimented or thought about covering up uh, the marks on your face? And if so, what did that feel like? Yeah, I did try um, camouflage. So I used makeup to cover the stain and uh, the birthmark. I did that when I was 14 and I tried another time when I was 16 and it was in a time, you know, when you're in puberty and you're coming of age as a girl and with all your girlfriends, everybody starts to experience makeup and everything. And I was just curious. And my mom, as open as my parents were, she was like, well, we can just try. And I remember being um, camouflaged looking in the mirror and the first thing I said was take it off because I'm not going to go on the street like this and it was so strong this feeling in my body like what you said like such an immense deep grief of I was like I don't recognize myself and and I felt so small in my body and so not like myself and one aspect of it also was that I have the scars from you know, the laser treatment that went wrong on my birthmark and they blend in into the birthmark right now. But when I camouflage the birthmark, they light up because then you see the really ass a little bit more. They stand out more. And that was something that really didn't feel good because as much as they are a part of my birthmark right now and they have become such an ingrained part of it, they are not mine. They are given by 
the hospital mistakes and I don't want to light them up more than what I was born with. So yeah, I've tried, but I mean, never say never, but like until this day, I'm, I'm very content with how I wear it, which is not with any makeup on. I would love to ask you to read this poem that you posted. My producer, Jessica, uh, who found you, uh, is also a poet. And so on Audacious, we particularly embrace that form of expression. And so uh, will you please read Be Inner Be? Be Inner Be. To cherish the bee buzzing within. To cherish all the tastes, smells, and sights. The cherry, the rose, the blossom. The sun, the flower, the honey. The nectar of belonging. Home in the golden light. To cherish all that is. To cherish all smell, all taste, all sight. Knowing the dark from which to blossom, from which to drip honey, to smell, to taste, to see the nectar of truth. As the wings of a buzzing bee spreading, sweet honey dripping, sticking to where it belongs in golden light. For parents who have kids who have these challenges, who will have these challenges, um, I'd like to hear what your parents did that really worked for you and what what you as you right now would like these parents to keep in mind as they raise their kids. We tend to want to make life a fairy tale for our children. We tend to tell stories to soften the burden of the truth sometimes. And my parents never did that. My parents were honest about what was going on. They didn't say things like the angel sprinkles uh, some red dust on your face or like, you know, and that's fun and nice, but kids, they know. Kids really know when they're being talked about. They know when something is not right, like their gut feeling is really on point. So speak the truth. Sometimes when we discover as children that the things we were told weren't true, we think that the truth is wrong. And then we wrong ourselves from that. And that's harmful. That results in what we believe about ourselves. And my parents were like, honey, you have a birthmark. Yes, it's going to challenge you and it's going to be wonderful. Yeah, and that's a journey to embark upon. That's always what my dad said. Like, yeah, you get to adventure with that. Yeah. I like your parents. I like them a lot. I love them. Yeah, they're great. (laughs) Well, Tessa Sheetheart, thank you so very much for talking with me. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. In addition to her coaching, Tessa is also the author of To Face the Work, about the experiences of people with visible facial differences in the workplace. We'll have links to Tessa's website and her Instagram at ctpublic.org slash audacious. After the break... What's it feel like when a dog bites your nose off and you see your face for the first time? Uh, I was scared to see it. They took all the bandages out and they told me that I could wait until I went home to see it. And I was like, there's no way I'm going home to see my face for the first time when I'm already in the hospital and I know I'll probably pass out. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. You're listening to the new investigative reporting podcast in absentia, which means you're interested in getting to the facts and uncovering the truth. If you'd like to help us continue our investigative work, consider making a donation. Visit ctpublic.org slash tap support and contribute today. That's ctpublic.org slash TAP support. Thank you for being a part of the Accountability Project. If you've never donated to this station before, that's okay. Public radio is available to everyone for free. But we do rely on listener support from those who are able to give. So join the community of supporters for Public Media Giving Days. And thanks. Give now at ctpublic.org slash donate.
This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today we're hearing stories from people whose faces have visible differences as a result of a traumatic event. On June 11th, 2017, Gabby Myers lost her nose due to a dog bite from a dog she knew and loved for a long time. Just a note that Gabby describes some graphic details in this interview, and she does bring up some of her darkest moments in these past five years. I want you to know the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline can be reached 24-7, and in English and Spanish, by simply dialing 988. I asked Gabby to bring me back to that day in 2017. Towards the end of the evening, which is a probably roughly 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, I go to leave the bathroom, and I got greeted by the newer dog, and he jumped up on my chest and was like, wanting attention. So I told him, I was like, okay, come on, come up here, give me attention, was loving him. That when I'm 5'2", so any dog that's a large breed dog is going to be as high as I am. <laughs> the same height as me, if not maybe a little bit shorter or taller. It's just tiny, but, um, portable. I mean, yeah, literally anyway. you can fold me up and put me in your pocket and I'll just, yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, I got greeted by the newer one. Kane's the newer dog. Clyde's the dog I knew for four years, the one that bit me. So from the left side, he came up and just grabbed my face. There was no reaction time. There was no growl. There was no warning. I don't know if he was trying to bite the other dog because he was jealous. That's what it makes me think of because I've known this dog for four years. I've laid out on the like the yard with him, like on the side of the bank of the lake with him. Like I, I was, it was, it was a shock. It was a huge shock. And, um, I've already been crying today. <laughs> so I would try not to cry when I talk about this, but I just, I don't understand why he bit me because I love that dog. Um, I mean, but it was just one of those freak accidents that just happened. And while I'm sitting, standing there with Clyde on my face, I just kind of held him and I held him from underneath his jaws and above his snout, kind of pushing down to where he couldn't shake me and he had to let go to breathe. So um, once he released, I threw him off of me. And when I threw him off me, I knew it was bad because it was just a waterfall of blood. And I didn't say much other than it's gone at this point. And I didn't realize that when my hands were over my face, uh, my nose was on the outside. So it was still attached to like this little piece of nostril and I ripped it off. <laughs> when I ripped it off, it hit my chest, rolled down me and I watched it roll across the, the carpet. <laughs> And the only thing I could say was, put it on ice. It's going to the hospital with me. They put it in a bag of ice. And I'm standing there obviously bleeding out. I've been drinking. It's It was a nightmare. And I thought I was going to die. I was just, I, I leaned over while I walked to the kitchen where um the sink was and I just kind of leaned over and I was just like okay we'll do all this this is the password of my phone I gave them everything all the information that they needed I was like call the cops um get the ambulance here I don't have much time and I told them I was getting lightheaded I told them I needed to sit down to put the dogs away and I sat down on the floor and all I remember is telling everybody I'm sorry I told him not to let anything happen to Kane or Clyde. I was like, I don't want anything to happen to these dogs because they're not bad dogs. They just, one of them up, you know, like had a bad moment. We all do. So that's what happened on <laughs> that horrible day. When you first saw your face, what was it like when you saw truly what your face looked like for the first time? So the first time I saw it, it was a week later. Uh, I was scared. 
to see it. They took all the bandages out and off. And they told me that I could wait until I went home to see it. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I was like, there's no way I'm going home to see my face for the first time when I'm already in the hospital and I know I'll probably pass out. So I went to the bathroom and I closed the door behind me. I didn't want anybody to come in. And I instantly, I couldn't even, I just, tears. They were just... I didn't even make a noise. They had no idea what was going on in the bathroom. I was just so quiet. And I was just staring at myself. I couldn't even recognize myself. I just, I was so shocked. And I don't even think it set in all the way until the first time I had to clean it by myself. And it hurt. Uh, the one thing that I used to joke about was the itching. <laughs> My nose would itch and there was no nose there. So it was just like instant. Like I would touch the little bone that was right there and I'd hit it and I would just fall just to the floor. Like cringing. <laughs> I just couldn't move. I couldn't say anything. I just shook and just sat on the floor. It happened a lot. I woke myself up. I don't know how many times. I could barely sleep. You were 27 years old when this happened. And so that's plenty of life to spend you know, making a life and building your future and pondering all that's to come. And so as you saw your face in this condition, how did the way you looked at the rest of your life change? I still hate the way I look. Like, I can't get around it. There's days that I just won't look in the mirror. I won't do it. Did you ever see Clyde again? No. I see pictures every once in a while. I'm not friends with the owner anymore, which is kind of sad. When you're out and about just existing in this world, what kind of reactions do you see? What do people say to you? Good and bad. And I don't even know. <laughs> Some of them were mean. Some of them were just shocked. And they would be like, she scares me. Or why would she come out looking like that? Um, I had one of them that literally said she should never come outside the way she looks. Um, there was another one that thought I was like in a war or something. <laughs> I was like, no, one of them in Arizona, it made me cry. There was a little girl named Lily that was sitting right next to me and I was with my old foster mom and her daughter and her granddaughter and <laughs> this, this couple, I don't know where they were from said, if you were in my country, we would have stoned you the way you look. And they literally walked, got up and walked out of the restaurant. And I mean, even the people that worked there were like, I'm so sorry. I was like, it's okay. I mean, it's not okay. No. It's, it's wild because you have this brightness to you and presence and sense of humor and wit and at the same time this was a nightmare that you didn't deserve to go through nobody deserves to go through what you went through um you know you're the first person that's ever said that <laughs> So thank you. Did you feel that you did deserve it? My ex used to tell me <laughs> that I deserved it to happen. Yeah, my ex was awful. I'm very glad that you are no longer with him. <laughs> and it stuck somewhere? Yeah, I did. 
you didn't deserve it. And you've got this light, and I wonder how much you rely on that light in you to make the most of this, right? Or how much how much you're leaning on that positivity because the alternative is too dark. Am I hitting anything? Yeah. <laughs> 100% actually. I There's a kid that used to tell me I have darkness that follows me. I was an apostolic Pentecostal preacher's daughter. <laughs> that was an adoption thing, yeah. And they used to tell me that I had darkness that followed me, and I never understood it. Until this happened to me. And then there was a really dark moment where I didn't want to keep fighting. There were many nights that I had to make myself get sick because I would just pop all my pain pills. Take them all with a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> it was sad. It was so sad. I'd make jokes about myself. I would, whenever I could, I would, <laughs> my biggest one was on the dog shot. I needed a nose job. <laughs> I was like, it's okay. You knew I didn't like it anyways. <laughs> like, I just needed a nose job. It's all good. <laughs> it's just the first draft. Exactly. <laughs> just like, whatever. I wonder when you see pictures of yourself from before the bite, what does that feel like? Makes me cry every time. Do you avoid looking at him? Yeah. But then I keep one out in the living room. It was the day that it happened. Before it happened. Literally hours. Like <laughs> I look at that picture and it just... I think of everything that I took for granted. <laughs> how nice my nose was actually and I hated it <laughs> I think we're going to help straight my upper lip was because now it's two different sizes <laughs> if it hadn't happened how do you think you would be different I wouldn't appreciate what I have now I mean, I appreciated everything I had before because I grew up with nothing, you know, like I fought for everything I had regardless, but I think I fought a little bit harder because everybody thought I was going to fail. My family, they didn't think I'd make it. And I fought even harder to prove everybody wrong. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. And that you continue to. I'm so glad that the attempts you made to end your life were not successful. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. I wish I could hug you. <laughs> I seriously wish I could just hug you right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just love your face already. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> um, my final question, and I feel weird asking it, but the name of the show is Audacious. Uh, if you could wave a magic wand and get your old face back, would you do it? No. No. Because it's not me anymore. Yeah. <laughs>
It's the first time anybody's asked me that either. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> oh, you got me good with that question. And that one, like, that one sunk. Oh. <laughs> It's the first time I've ever said that either. Thank you for saying that. You're like a therapy session over here. (laughs) Gabby Myers, thank you so much for talking with me. Well, thank you. I just want to hug you so bad. (laughs) It's not fair. Gabby joined me from her home in Elwood, Indiana, where she lives with and loves her six dogs, four cats, more than 20 fish, one bearded dragon, and a desert tortoise named Calypso. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline can be reached 24-7 and in English and Spanish by dialing 988. We'll have a link to more information and all of our guests at ctpublic.org audacious. This show is always lovingly produced by me, Jessica Severin Martinez, and Katie Talarski, with help from our interns, Anya Grandalski and Mira Raju at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Subscribe to Audacious, and you'll always get to hear the show a day early. Plus, you can listen back to shows featuring things like that one I mentioned to Tessa about the cool and difficult things about being a model. Plus, shows about the awesomeness and agony of not being able to feel any physical pain And when a man with a full face transplant looks in the mirror, who does he see? You can hear all of our amazing episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for sharing them. Send me your reactions and show ideas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kyone Wolf, or send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening.